Welcome to Author Imprint, the podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Orton. Now, normally on the show, we talk to authors about their process, how they work, what they're reading, thoughts on the industry. But today we're talking to one of the people who helps make the industry tick. Lisa Lucas is executive director of the National Book Foundation. Her organization works to develop lifelong readers and celebrate excellence in literature. Their annual National Book Award is a coveted honor with past winners including Ralph Ellison, William Carlos Williams, Tom Wolfe, Susan Sontag, E.L. Doctorow, the list goes on and on. So from one book lover to another, Lisa, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about the National Book Foundation. What's the organization's primary mission? Sure. So. Um, Our mission is to celebrate the best literature in America, to expand its audience, and to make sure that literature is culturally relevant for an American audience. That's fantastic. And I mean, what does that mean for you as the executive director? What are you primarily pushing to uh, accomplish that goal? Sure. So it's a big mission, right? Like, so basically that's to celebrate good books, to widen the audience for books, and to make sure that we think about books alongside film and television Mm. and all of the other art forms that we consume so regularly, Um, which shouldn't be as big of a fight as it is. And so everything (laughs) that we do, whether it's the National Book Awards or it's the Why Reading Matters Conference or... It's public programming that we do at colleges and universities or at libraries or at book festivals. It's all about creating a bridge between reader and book. Hmm. So the biggest and most well-known thing that we do is the National Book Awards. So we've been doing the National Book Awards since 1950, before there was even a National Book Foundation. Wow. Um, So the Association of American Publishers and the American Booksellers Association came together to come up with a way, a tool to help sell books. And that was the National Book Awards. But, you know, since then and always, really, since 1950, we've always just celebrated great books. That's fantastic. And, you know, I think, too, that I guess so much of the beauty of these award shows is you're right. It's about honoring something, but it's also about generating this excitement. And I love... I'm sure it's a pain, but I love that people are reaching out to you and saying, this was the wrong decision or this is, this is, is that. And for everybody reaching out is, you know, one more person's really excited about books. Sure. You know, I mean, it can. we haven't had too many kerfluffles since I've been around. <laughs> but, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that if a person is sad that a book didn't make a list and they say, oh, this book should have been on the list. What a crime. From my perspective, they are making noise, public noise about a book that might encourage somebody to pick that book up. We are having a conversation about reading. We are engaging around the written word. You talked too about the idea that uh, literature isn't necessarily looked um, at with the sort of attention that other art forms Mm -hmm. get, that the Oscars and the Grammys and all the sort of stuff gets. But I think, you know, the thing that I find interesting is that if you're working on access and engagement, there are probably different barriers for books than there are for seeing a film or seeing theater. What do you find those to be for people? I'm of two minds about it. You know, I mean, it would be, I would be willfully ignoring the reality of the situation if I said books are just as popular as film, right? (laughs) It's factually inaccurate. Um... I do believe that books remain a very vital part of American culture. While we may not sell as many copies as there might be tickets for Black Panther, I think about ta Coates writing the Black Panther graphic novels, right? There's so 
much that comes from literature in all of the modes in which we tell stories. And I think sometimes it is about reminding the general public at large that storytelling is one thing and that the medium in which you receive the story that you're being told, um, you Mm. can be flexible. You can get the same joy from a book that you can get from a film, that you can get from a dance performance, that you can get from a poem. And I think secondarily, we haven't always done the work of making people feel like they are invited into literature. We have not always done the work of saying, this is for everyone. Sure. We have sometimes, and for various reasons, you know, it's like, it requires a certain amount of discipline to read a 300-page book. It requires a certain amount of time. It requires also, I think, a little bit of getting used to it, right? Like, it's like, you can sit down and watch a movie and it's doing all the work for you. But it's like, but when you're reading, you're imagining. You have to do the mental work to imagine. Sure. And just like anything else, whenever you're doing something that you're not used to doing, there's a minute of sort of like easing in, getting comfortable, getting used to it. And so <laughs> the person reads one book and has like an okay reading experience, you know, it can be hard to get the person to read another book. But the, the reality is that as you read, you start reading more quickly. Mm-hmm. I, re- I read more quickly when I've had a break. Not been reading a ton, or you know, just dipping into things, and I haven't really been able to focus. It takes me a minute to harness my energy, but if I finally get through one book, then I get right through the next book, and then if I stay on, you know, point, then it's like then I'm then I'm ripping through them. I'm huh. ripping through them. I'm more open. I'm more used to it. It's it's it, the repetition has trained me to be in this place of being able to read. So sure. I mean, so I think you have to address making sure that people have the kinds of options available to them, the kind of recommendations available to them that allow them to have those positive reading experiences, that allow them to seek out additional ones so that they can get to a place where they might be open to something that they never, ever would have read that's not the kind of page turner that they, you know, desire the most. And I think that once you get that kind of openness, it's really exciting. So I think we have to speak to different communities. We have to talk to people um, who haven't been sold to or marketed to or included in the narrative. Um, and and remind everyone that this is like, this is not rocket science. This is actually like a fundamental medium. What happens too is like young people are being read to by their parents. Their parents are buying them books in the best of circumstances. They're being given books at school. But at every step of the way, they're being told what to read. They're being compelled to read, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps by a teacher or parent, you know. Um, and there are also so many different types of options for young people. Um, I think that people who write for young people tend to focus on things that are compelling to children. Sure. Um, So there are all these ways in which we really think about developing the young reader. Um, But we don't always teach that it's a joy and a pleasure. Hmm. You know, it's uh, I've said this a thousand times and I'm so offended at myself for continuing to repeat it. But it's like, (laughs) you know, it's treated like spinach. You know, it's the vegetable that you have to eat. You know, it's not the piece of fried chicken on the plate. It's, so what's it's the not answer? the cake. Um, well, I think that po- the reason that BookUp exists is to allow kids to go into a bookstore, they get money to buy a book, and they get to choose. So, like, choice is a big deal, right? Also, ownership, hmm. right? So everybody doesn't have a home full of books. You know, everybody doesn't have their own books. So being able to have a book and say, this is my book, this is my beautiful object that I get to have in my room, you know, Mm -hmm. that expresses my personality, right? Like learning that behavior with books, I think, can create a lifelong reader. 
Um, and I think that's a step. Like, that's not the only way there, right? Like, it's not like I can just walk in and be like, I'm going to give you a book. And now you're a lifelong reader. There's like a lot of work to do. I mean, and that has to do with inclusion. That has to do with repetition. That has to do with access. That has to sure. do with, you know, also the way that we all talk about books. That has to do with peer pressure, right? Like, it's like, you know, honestly, like for me, like the best thing you can do is create energy around books. You can create media attention around books. Mm-hmm. You can get people talking and having that conversation. And the more that they do that, the more somebody's going to see something in a magazine or see their favorite celebrity reading a book or writing for a book, you know, and that too creates the pressure. Sure. That allows people to be like, oh, I want to know about that. Yeah. As far as engagement is concerned, is there any um, new thing that you're seeing that you're especially excited about as ways of people connecting with each other and talking about books? Sure. I mean, I think that we're having a great moment um, with the intersection of all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like publishing sort of had this moment where it's like, okay, all the little bookstores are closing in the 90s because the big bookstore has come in. And then all the bookstores are sort of like, people don't read anymore. And it's not never really the truth. You need to go into so many bookstores that have been around for so long. Sure. And you're like, well, bookstores have always kind of been here. Um, but it's been, it's been rough. But it's like bookstores are growing. They're growing. They're opening. Bookstores owners are retiring and people are buying their bookstores. And they're opening second bookstores. McNally Jackson just opened a second site in um, Williamsburg this past month. And then you also have, you know, Word has multiple sites running. And so it's like, to me, it feels like there's a lot of optimism. Hmm. I was at a conference called Winter Institute, which is a booksellers conference. And it was in Memphis this year. And you sort of wander around this and there's all these people that – you know, are, have dedicated and devoted their whole lives to selling books, right? Which is no one, I think, says, like, I'm going to become, I don't know, super rich <laughs> selling books, right? Sure. Um, but it's like the passion of all of these booksellers and the devotion to doing this work. And more importantly, there was a young booksellers party. And the number of people under the age of 30 that are in the act of choosing this as their lifelong career is heartening because we're not dying. We're yeah. growing. And if you look at all the different things that are happening on Twitter and you're looking at all the things that are happening, you know, sort of brick and mortar shops, you look at the the real just uh, energy and enthusiasm. When you listen to a writer like Jason Reynolds talk about talking to an audience and making an audience that has never once felt seen feeling seen and you think about all these different things coming together like Tetris um, I think there's a really good outcome Lisa we have we have a series of questions that we ask everybody uh, who we have on this show who are mostly authors um, called our short stories segment these are like lightning round questions um, but for you we tweaked this and we made this a little bit different and we're asking you this um, series of questions as a book lover and advocate okay all right so question one what book made you a reader I think it was a series of books um, okay. I think that in part, White Teeth by Zadie Smith made me a reader, in part Piers Anthony's Xanth novels, which are full of puns and fantasy <laughs> novels, made me a reader. I think that um, from the mixed up files of Basil E. Frankenweiler made me a reader. Wow. Um, okay. And a lot more. Great. Um, and how do you read best when you hunger down to read? You know, I read on the subway so well. I mean, I don't spend that much time on the subway, so it's not where I do all of my reading. But I read super well on the subway. It's my favorite place to read. You know, I I enjoy reading on the subway, too. And I will tell you that my 
uh, my local train, as I was reading this like a couple days ago, became an express train. And I didn't notice because I was so engrossed in my book. And I ended up on Canal Street. I have missed my stop so many times. <laughs> so it's almost a great place to read unless you miss your stop. But yeah. I agree. That's fantastic. Um, what did it mean to you to take on your role at the National Book Foundation and shepherd the future of books. I mean, that's an extreme statement, but it's kind of true. It felt really heavy. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like, I think the number one thing is like, it's like a, it's a, a an organization with a very long history, right? Yeah. And to me, it felt like something that had to be protected. Um, and that every person who served as executive director has felt like it's something to protect. And mm. so to become, you know, the custodian alongside the board of directors of this, you know, really important American institution um, it felt like I had to just do things as right as I could and do right by writers and do right by readers and do right by books. And now you obviously meet a ton of writers. Do you adv- have advice for people who want to work in publishing, who want to be these writers that are winning the National Book Foundation Awards? Well, I think for a writer, I've never been a writer, so I can only give so much advice to a writer. Um, but it does seem like continuing to sort of learn and revise and to, pers- you know, to, to keep telling the stories that you want to tell and thinking about your voice and thinking about, you know, why and what you want to tell people hmm. is important. But I think that in terms of coming into publishing, which I'm sort of more broadly interested in, um, I think that there are so many different things that publishing is made up of. Hmm. And we are often, our eye is drawn to writing. Our eye is drawn to editing. But our eye isn't drawn to production or copy editing. Our eye isn't drawn to running the National Book Foundation. Our eye isn't drawn to so many. Our eye isn't drawn to your job, Hmm. right? You know, interviewing authors. And I think that it's important to think about the fact that there are so many ways in and there are so many roles. You can work at a bookstore. You can be a buyer for a bookstore. You can be a seller at a bookstore. You can work um, in the media and tell the story of the books that are coming out. There's so many ways. There's so many different facets to the work that we do. And there are independent presses. You know, everybody is always thinking about that big corporate job at the big publisher or at the prestige house. You know, but there are so many small publishers – People don't think about starting their own presses, Hmm. you know, in their own communities. There's so many ways. And I think that the biggest advice that I could give is to think very broadly about what a career in publishing could like, like to learn as much as they can about all of the different ways in which we engage with literature, librarians. I mean, it goes on and on. Sure. It's a huge ecosystem when you really pull it out that Mm -hmm. way. And to find your community. Because the more you are able to do, like, circles rise together. Right. So find the people that are interested in the things that you do and share information and experiences and bring each other up alongside one another. And that's the best way to do that, I think. Absolutely. And Lisa, what are you reading now? I am rereading Mary Gateskill's Bad Behavior. Rereading? Which is one of my favorite story collections. What brought you back to it? I gave it to someone as a gift and <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I should read this again. And do you then do I did. that where you like you give somebody something and then you think, what did I just give them? I'm going to reread it and then like have that moment with them at the same time. I knew time. what I was giving, but I just sort of felt like I would like to have this experience. Yeah. It's, I think it gets you excited about something all over again. I totally agree. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being here and sticking around. And we will stay posted on the upcoming National Book Awards. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. 